0: like that. We have to presume he was an intelligent man. He's at the top of his game. The problem for him is he's got all the Roman gods to deal with. And then he comes to Israel, to Jerusalem, not knowing it, but to, to the living God. But the Jews are always fighting. They're fighting against everybody. They're causing trouble. They're causing difficulty and they're fighting against everybody. And he doesn't find truth there. And now the one who is truth said, I am the way, the truth, and the life stands before him. And he's got to actually make a decision whether he let this in or not. He misses the point completely and carries on. And you see, I think that can happen to us. I think with all the information you and I have got coming our way, we can get dull to the truth. We can come to the place where we're illiterate as far as truth is concerned. And you see, here's the reality. We want to be wise. We want to live wise lives. We want to live lives that are going to count. And if we're going to live lives that are going to count, we're going to have to do truth. But if we're going to do truth, we have to go back a step further and we have to take in truth. We have to take this in. Because that's where we find truth. We have to actually take this truth in. And when it comes to us taking truth in, we've got so many things coming our way. We've got traditions coming our way. We've got information. Uh, we've got the tolerance of our age. We've got a whole... We've just got all kinds of stuff going in so that when you ask people about the simplest things about truth, oftentimes they don't know. Do you know I think it's true that we have more information uh, but less understanding or comprehension of that information than ever before? And when it comes to truth... You know, there, there, there were people just a few hundred years ago uh, who would have died and did die to own a copy of the Bible. And now you've got it. You've got several copies probably stuffed somewhere. You've got a copy on your phone. You've got a copy on your computer. You've got more copies. And yet actually getting it in us is the key. Really, I'm inclined to actually have a, a, a survey. We, obviously not tonight, but, but I'm inclined to have a survey so we see where we are as far as our Bible reading and our Bible studying is concerned, right? And I think it'd be helpful to us to actually look at it and find it, find out where we stand as far as Bible reading and Bible understanding is concerned, right? So, okay, Proverbs chapter seven. You're with me there. We're going to read, right? We're starting in Proverbs, but you're going to have to get, have to get your Bible in your hand because we're going to be doing a little bit of reading tonight, right? So you're going to have to look around, right? So you got, have everybody got a Bible in your hand? Okay, you've got a Bible somewhere in your hand because you're going to have to go to these passages with me and look at them, but they will be helpful to us. Okay, it's going to be worth uh, looking at, right? So, Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 1 My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. And we're not going to go into that. We will do on another occasion. But the idea is that you've got to get wisdom. You've got to hold on to it. You've got to bind it to your heart. You've got to make it important to you. Wisdom is a key issue for you. And you've got to make it something that you do on purpose. Right? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us? Help us, Lord, with your word tonight. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would be a people of truth. We would be a people of the book. We would be a people, Lord, that want your commandments and want your way. And, Lord, a people that are wise enough to live them, Lord. Would you help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Okay, so taking heed to Scripture. I'm going to give you five things that taking heed to Scripture will do, and then I'm going to talk about how you take heed to Scripture. Right? Taking heed to Scripture, first of all, uh, will preserve you from error in your life. Will preserve you from getting it wrong in your life. There was a group of people <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> in the Old Testament times. And they came to the persuasion that there was no resurrection. Right? In other words, there's nothing. You die, you're going to hold the ground. They were Jews. They were called Sadducees. They, they had come to that place where they were persuaded there was. A, they used to argue back and forth with the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed there was a resurrection. Now, not believing there's a resurrection is a pretty important thing. It's a pretty dangerous thing to believe because if there's no resurrection, it's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. You got nothing to face. And uh, so they come to Jesus with another question, and he actually nails them as far as their error is concerned, and he tells them why they're wrong. So look with me, Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, and we're looking at verse 18 to 27, Mark 12 and verse 18. Sorry, folks. I'm looking at the wrong section, right? Okay, Mark 12, verse 18, right? Uh, Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. uh, And they asked him, saying... So these these are the people. These are the group, the religious group. They're religious people. They are Bible believers, if you want to uh, call it that. These are people that actually believe in God. They believe in the word of God. They're um, a part of the temple. They're a group within that group, right? And they don't believe in a resurrection, right? (coughs) Right? Pretty scary thought, right? <clears throat> but uh, they come to him saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, and he uh, leave his wife behind him, and have no children, and his brother uh, that his brother should take his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, and the seven had her, and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also." In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife, right? Now, they're trying to catch him out, right? They, they look at the saying, you say there's a resurrection? Okay, well, we're, we're going to hit you a stumper, right? Uh, the, the, this woman, she had seven husbands, all brothers, because the Old Testament law was, you know, you were to raise up seed to your brother, Uh, You know, so um, she had seven husbands, so they all died before her. When she dies, whose husband is she going to be in the resurrection? Gotcha. That's really what they're saying. Right? Now, look what Jesus does. Jesus is the master. You have to love the way he responds to people and the way he answers them. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? That's really confrontational. That's like going into a group of pastors and saying, you you guys are in trouble. You don't know the Bible and you don't know the power of God. But Jesus says, no, he doesn't doesn't shy back from it. Uh, He he goes to the problem and he nails it, right? Uh, For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Now this: there is no marriage in heaven, so it's not a problem at all, right? And as touching the dead, that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. I want you to catch this. Jesus is hinging his argument here. On the tense of an Old Testament scripture. Because um, if the Old Testament scripture had said I was the God of Abraham their, their case wins. Because yeah right? there, there, there is no resurrection they're dead. But Jesus says no when God says I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac that means they're still with me. I am their God. Right Now look at <coughs> Uh, d- don't worry about it. Jesus is actually n- nailing this one down for you. So don't, don't don't worry about it. But it's just the tense of the Old Testament scripture that he's actually nailing it on. And he says to them, therefore you do greatly err. Do you know if you don't read your Bible and let it say what it's saying and not take on board what you think it might mean or what somebody else told you it meant, you could really greatly err you could have your life going in a whole tangent to where you think you're going see these guys they they they're leaders they're they're you know they're priests they're people that that know their bible they're people that know their business and yet you know what's wrong for them they're greatly erring cuz they don't know the scripture what's jesus saying them? guys if you would read your bible and study your bible you wouldn't be asking me this stupid question you would know Because God is not the the God of the dead. He's the God uh, of the living. And therefore, these people are alive. And you're wrong. You've got it wrong. Now, what does that mean to you and I? Where do you think the Sadducees got this idea, by the way? Well, they got it from some rabbi way back. Some rabbi said, you know what? I don't believe there's any resurrection from the dead. And somebody else said, yeah, you're right. And he wrote a book. I'm sure you wrote a good, big, fat book about the fact there was no resurrection from the dead. And, and you know, and and some people followed him, and some people went with him, and and they taught the same thing, and they, uh, they followed him. And nobody bothered to check it out scripturally. Nobody bothered to go back to the Word of God and see, is it true? And so, not only did this rabbi go off, but a whole group of people lived their lives as though there's no resurrection. Now, if you live like there's no resurrection, you're going to miss the point of life completely. Because we're not living for this life. We're living for the next life. And if you live your life as though there's no resurrection, you've got an error. And Jesus is right. You do greatly err. Why? Because you're not reading your Bible. You're not actually checking it out. You're not studying it. You're not looking at it and letting the truth speak for itself. You and I have truth. We need to read it and let it do its work in our hearts and our lives. All the truth of the Scripture doesn't come, you know, from a, just an, a nice easy reading on a Sunday afternoon. Sometimes you've got to study. Sometimes you've got to pray. Sometimes you've got to seek God's face about the truth of Scripture. But we need to find truth. If we don't, we will go into error. Listen, I think we have a great church. I think we have good doctrine. I think we have things. uh, I don't think we're perfect, but I think we have uh, a lot of things going for us. But you know what? If we get removed from Scripture, it doesn't matter how many people come in that door. It doesn't matter um, uh, how big the budget is. None of that matters. the, The devil would be happy to fill this church if we would just move off Scripture. We've got to be on the scripture, on the truth. That's got to be the reality of life to us. We've got to seek the truth. We've got to be careful that, you know, media and everything else doesn't pull us away from it. We've got to be careful that our traditions don't pull us away from it. We want truth. What saith God? And we've got to go back and we've got to study that and we've got to keep studying that. And we've got to let that be real in our hearts and lives because otherwise we'll err. We will greatly err. And not only will we greatly err, but we're likely to pull a whole bunch of people with us in our error, because that's what happens. People get caught up in error, right? Okay, Um, that's number one. Number two, taking heed to Scripture will protect you. Don't you live in a dangerous world? You do, don't you? You live in a dangerous world, but you know the Scripture's going to protect you. Now, God's going to bring trouble into your life from time to time, no matter how well you protect yourself. But there's a whole heap of trouble out there that you don't need to get into. There's a whole heap of trouble that you can stay far away from and need never touch you. And do you know how you're going to do that? You're going to do that by taking heed to Scripture. Look with me at Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1 and verse 16. Now come on, do the work. Find it in your Bible, all right? There's not much point in me talking about Scripture, talking about truth. um, If we're not actually looking at it and getting into it, all right? Verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him uh, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, James, John, and Peter actually saw Jesus with Moses uh, and Elijah, and they saw him transformed before their eyes. In fact, they saw him in his glory. Uh, They saw him, and they were terrified. Peter was terrified when he saw it. And they heard the voice of God from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. They actually heard it. They had an experience that you could write a book about, that you could live off for the rest of your life, and go tell people, Yeah, we were there when it all happened. And so they're saying, Listen, we haven't followed cunningly, cunningly devised fables, we haven't followed stories here. We heard him, we saw it, it was real. Right? But look at verse 19. And he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Right? What's a more sure word than what you see? What's a more sure word than hearing God from heaven speak? This. It's a more sure word. Do you know that experience can be very deceiving? You can get it wrong. Over the years, you can remember things wrongly. You tell a story often enough, and if you're a good storyteller, you'll embellish the story, and you'll end up, you know, with the story kind of being very different from the first time it was told. You know, if you tell a story to one person, and they tell it to somebody else, and it's passed on from person to person, you know, by the time it finally gets to the end, it can be totally different not intentionally nobody's intending to lie it's just you know what that's what happens uh in the stories but when it comes to something more sure that's what you've got in the word of god you've got something that's more sure than anybody's experience that's why when somebody gives you their experience they, they, they can believe their experience whatever it is They can believe their experience. They can tell you, listen, it's true. They can tell you they were there. It happened and so on. If it doesn't line up with this, it's wrong. Because scripture trumps experience always. Scripture trumps experience always. It's not what you think happened, what you feel happened. It's what scripture says that's important. And we we need to come to that place where we give it that kind of authority in our lives. Look what he, look what he further says about it. We, we have also more sure word of prophecy, verse 19. Where unto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Do, do you know that when it's dark, you can't see anything? And you're likely to mistake things, and you're likely to stumble into things, because it's dark. It's so easy, isn't it? Did you ever wake up in the night and you, you stubbed your toe on something and it ruins your night's sleep because you are in pain? Did you ever walk on Lego if you have kids? Lego's pretty evil stuff it, when you walk on it in the nighttime. It's bad. It is bad stuff, right? Um, but what happens in the dark you can't see? and Or you walk into a door because you can't see you're half asleep and you, and you stumble. Now, what helps? And you don't want to do this because you don't want to wake up fully. You want to go back to sleep again. So you don't want to turn on the lights and wake everybody else up. But what helps is if you turn on the lights, then you can see. That's the joy of a phone now, isn't it? You can just turn on your phone and it can show you where you're going, uh, even in the night. <clears throat> but the, the thing is that if you turn on the light, you, you don't stumble and fall. Do you know the Bible is a light to your feet? A lot of people out there are just stumbling around in life stumbling around in life because they've got no light and it's dark out there. And when you stumble around, uh, you're going to get hurt. You just When you stumble around in the dark, you, you're going to end up getting hurt. But he says, you, you, you have a light. You have a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart until Jesus comes. You have a light that shines. He gives you the word of God to guide you on your path in life. And if you will take it and you will obey it, there's a whole heap of trouble you're never going to know. A whole heap of trouble you're never going to get into. The whole heap of things that other people can foolishly do, but you won't do. If you let the word of God speak until the day star arise in your hearts, it's a light that shines in a dark place. And then he says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And you know, uh, the Catholic Church did a, did a great number on some of the scriptures. And you know, Catholic Church, if you've ever read the Douay Bible, <clears throat> it's actually not a bad translation of the scripture. But what would just spin your head is the commentary underneath and there's, there's, there's kind of a half page of commentary to a page of Scripture. Right? And so they'll, they'll give you a commentary. But what they'll tell you about this verse is, you know, it's not of any private interpretation. We're the church. We're the ones that interpret for you. We tell you. Well, they've blown that one. Because they don't know what Scripture says at all. So what does it mean when it says it's of, not of any private interpretation? You and I don't get to make up what it means. Look look what it says. For the prophecy came not in old time, but by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, people will say men wrote it, and that's true. Uh, Men actually penned the words. But the Holy Spirit was actually the, the driver behind it. He took those personalities, and the word there is he moved them to write the Scripture. So you know what it is? The Holy Spirit's the author of Scripture, You and I don't get to make up what it says. There is an author. He had an intended meaning. And we need to find that meaning. So here's the thing. You see, there's two ditches you can go into uh, in this thing, and people do it. Uh, On the one side, you've got people who are scripture only. And they're going to look at the scripture, and they're going to say, well, it's got to be in the black and white. And they will use their intellect to try and interpret what it says. And they'll end up going wrong. And then you've got another group of people who say, well, the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives and, and, um, you know, he's the one that's there. And it's neither. It's the scripture and the spirit. The scripture is the anchor. The spirit is the illumination that helps you to understand it. But you need both at work in your life. And by the way, let, let me dispel a notion for you. Oftentimes people think, well, you'd have to have a degree in Bible or maybe more for you to understand the scripture. That's a lie. You don't need somebody to explain to you all the intricacies of Greek. You need the Holy Spirit. You have the author dwelling in you. It's kind of like this. You you sit down and you read your Bible and it's just a picture for you and the author is right there and you say, what does this mean? And you you said, what does this mean? He says, don't worry about that. I'll I'll explain that to you later on. Just keep on reading. But he's there to explain to you what the Word of God means. Because he wants it to be that the Word of God is a light to your feet and that it protects you. You know what? You and I have gotten ourselves in trouble from time to time. And you know what? Uh, Very often... I can look at the trouble I've gotten myself into, and I say, "Oh, I didn't do what I was supposed to do there. Maybe I hadn't bothered reading it. Maybe I hadn't bothered asking help, but I didn't do what I was supposed to do there. If I'd known God, I wouldn't have done that. I've even looked back over my life before I was saved, and I thought several things. I'd never known that if I'd known this. this. The word of God is a light to guide you in the dark place of this world. And it's good at it. But you need to know it. You need to let it in. You need to let the the word of God into your heart and into your life. Because it will protect you. Thirdly, taking heed to Scripture will prosper you. Look at Psalm 1 with me for a second. By the way, I'd like to learn this as a Scripture song. Psalm 1. How many of you can sing this, by the way? Psalm 1. Oh, can you sing it? I'll tell you what, if we started singing it, a lot of you could, would remember, but it's, it's, it's a good one to sing. It's a good one to have uh, rolling around in your head. It's the theme song, the theme psalm for um, uh, Reformers Unanimous. It's a great psalm. It's got great truth in it, right? <clears throat> right? Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Right? So you've got the foolish man of verse 1 contrasted with the wise man of verses 2 and 3. Now, look at the wise man in verses 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you know the wise man is going to meditate in the law of the Lord day and night? Does that sound boring to you? You're not going to say yes. Not in the Sunday night church, are you? Uh, <clears throat> kind of does sometimes, doesn't it? But, but think about it. You have a hard time living in this world. It's a wicked world, it's a dark world. You so often have a hard time knowing what to do. Sometimes you know what to do, but it's the wrong thing, and you know that too. Sometimes you know what to do, and it's the wrong thing, but you do it anyway, because you don't know any better. The Word of God, when you meditate on it, when you think on it, when you dwell on it, it will straighten out your path and give you a life that's effective and that counts. And that is helpful to you. See, the the word of God is God's plan for how you should live your life in this dark world. And he says, he wants you to dwell on it, to delight in in it, uh, to to meditate on it. And we'll talk about those things. uh, But look what verse 3 says, because here's really where we want to go with this, right? And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's a word picture that he's giving you there. It's going to be like a tree that's planted by the river of water, rivers of water. You imagine a desert place where there's nothing much growing and so on. It's pretty grim. Uh, It's pretty bad. But in this desert place, there's not one river, but there's at least two rivers of water. Right, So in this desert place, you've got, in, you've got two rivers of water coming through, and you've got a tree that's planted. My picture, in my mind, is it's planted right where the, two tree, where the two rivers meet. Right, you ever see the meeting of the waters in Avoca? Two rivers come crashing in together, and my picture is this tree is planted right in the middle. Now, this tree that's planted in the middle has got abundant sunshine because it's in a desert place. But it has abundant water because there's two rivers converging where it's planted. That tree's going to do well. That tree is going to do really well. And that's what he says. <clears throat> His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to think, well, whatever I turn my hand to is going to go well. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Doesn't that, isn't that what you want for the picture for your life? Don't you want to be that tree that's planted by the rivers of water, that's producing fruit, uh, and everything you touch is going well, God is prospering? Of course you do. You're not dumb. That's what we want for our lives. Well, how are you going to get that? The Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Memorize the word of God. Let it in. Let it in so that it becomes your life. Spurgeon said this. He says, our blood should be bibline. In other words, if you cut us, the word of God should be there. It should be the driving force of our lives. The word of God should be that which drives us. Do you know? Listen, what he's saying is, whatsoever he doeth will prosper. Isn't that what you want for your life? Well, God's telling you how to, how, to, how to have that happen. The Word of God. Look at another scripture that says the same thing. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. We're looking at verse, actually, we'll We'll read from the beginning of the verse, right, because it's all going to be important to us, right? Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, by the way, just for you to catch it there, do you know Joshua's training? For um, being the leader of Israel, he was to be the servant of Moses. Right, he was the one that uh, that that took care of Moses and faithfully all Moses' life. He was the one that was his training, uh, Moses' minister. And he said, "Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel." Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Now, Joshua, you don't really have to fight. You just need to go across the river. Uh, everywhere you go, everywhere the sole of your foot touches, I've given it to you already. It's yours. All you've got to do is you've got to march over the river and you've got to take it because I've given it to you already. Now, think about it. Here, We've got a bunch of slaves, two and a half million slaves. They've been wandering around nomads in the wilderness for 40 years. They set up camp, they took down camp, they moved on. They've been wandering around for 40 years. A generation has died out, a generation that wouldn't go in before them. And now you have a generation that are ready to go in. All right? So these slaves are going to go in and they're going to walk in. The land is given to them. There are houses in that land that they're going to live in. There, there are vineyards in that land that they're going to eat the grapes out. There are olive trees. There are cattle. There are all kinds of things in this land that, that are going to be theirs. They're, they're, they're going to have it made. It's just wonderful, and God says, "Joshua, I've given it to you." Do you know you and I strive for things when striving is not what we need? We need God. God can bless us. The striving so often is not where it's at. These people didn't have to strive. They had to do one thing. They had to obey. Do you know this is all you and I have to do too? We have to obey. Let's keep going though. <clears throat> uh, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Now, if I was Joshua, I would be daunted because he had seen how they treated Moses. And they were not good to Moses. They were, they were hard on Moses. They, they caused him trouble. In fact, Moses says, uh, and he was right, it was their fault that he struck the rock twice and never got to go into the land. God didn't, God didn't buy it. Um, but from Moses' perspective, that's what happened. They were hard, and so here's Joshua, the second in command. Joshua, uh, the, the the replacement cannon fodder for these people. And God is saying now, Joshua, "Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Why? Because I'm with you, Joshua. Don't don't worry. You don't have to be a great leader. You don't have to have your act all together. You don't have to have all the ducks lined up in a row." You just have one thing you got to do, Joshua. Just one thing. You just got to obey. You got to follow me. You got to obey, Joshua. And Joshua, I will take care of the rest. Do you think that's the way God works with all His people? Or do you think sometimes He goes into partnership and He and He has you do your best, and then He'll do His best? That's always the way God works with His people. There's only one rule: obey. Do what God wants. <clears throat> Let's continue on. Um, Verse 6, be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. He says, be strong and of good courage. Uh, You know, Joshua's a warrior. He's fought battles before. He's led in battles. And you're thinking, oh, now he's getting down to it. he's going to have to sharpen his sword. He's going to have to train his uh, people. He's going to have to get them all organized for the battle because they're going into battle now. And that's what Joshua needs. He needs to be very strong uh, and very courageous because he's got to fight. That's not what God's talking about. Look, see what he says. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. He says to Joshua, He says, Joshua, I want you to be strong and courageous to obey my word. Joshua, do it my way. D- don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, just do my word. Do what I tell you to do, Joshua. D- j- Joshua, don't, don't, don't go on your own plan. If you go on your own plan, Joshua, it's going to go wrong. Have you ever gone on your own plan? I've gone on my own plan. It never goes well. God says, No, Joshua, don't go to the right and don't go to the left. Just follow my word. Do it my way, Joshua. How? Well, all the word my, my servant Moses commanded you the Bible. Just follow it. Follow the truth. And look what he says. <clears throat> Um, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Then he says in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Do, Do you want to make your way prosperous? Do you want to have good success? Of course you do. Well, what do you got to do? You got to take the word of God. You've got to take the Word of God and you've got to study the Word of God. You've got to let it in. I'm going to pause there. We're going to come back to this next week. But here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, if it's that important to your life, how much time should you and I be spending in it every day? How much time should we be looking at it? Facebook's not that important to your life. But you can spend quite a bit of time on Facebook. News. You know, <clears throat> I, I like the news, but sometimes I think, you know, it's all the same. It doesn't really change that much. It's just stories about stuff and it goes on and on and on. It's not that important to my life. You can probably get enough news in in, in in three minutes in a day to actually give you all that you need as far as news is concerned. A lot of TV out there. There's nothing wrong with you relaxing and enjoying uh, uh, some things. That, that, that's not a problem. But it's not all that profitable in your life. You know, <clears throat> there's a lot of music you can listen to, but it's not all that profitable in your life. And then there's the Word of God. And you know the amazing thing for us? If I ask you tonight, do, do you think... This is where you should spend your time and spend uh, put your time and your effort and your energy into. You're going to say yeah. I know there might be there might be somebody in this room that would say no, but <clears throat> most of you would say yeah. That's where I should spend my time, my my effort, and my energy. It would be good for me. It would help me to spend my time. But but if I were to ask you, how much time are you currently spending? What's your plan? forgetting the wisdom that's in this book into you Uh, how are you doing with it what would you say we kind of know it's important but it's so easy for us to miss it Stephen Covey he wrote the Seven Habits of Very Successful People and um, he talks about the tyranny of the urgent that's a tyranny isn't it You got to do this and you got to do that and you got to respond to the text and you got to respond to that email and you got to talk to that person and you got to do this work and you got to go shopping and you got to, and you got to, and you got to, and the tyranny of the urgent, the problem is that the tyranny of the urgent is likely to make you upend your priorities. In other words, this is priority, but this is urgent. It's not that important. And you're, you're, you're likely to spend your life your time, your valuable valuable time doing things that are not important and always saying, yeah, i got to get to the really important things. You know what? I think we should actually be wise. I think we should turn it upside down. I think we should say the Word of God is important. I want to know the Word of God. I want to walk with God. And there's no way for you to walk with God apart from knowing the Word of God, apart from obeying the Word of God. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to spend time in it. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me and I'm going to spend time in it every day. I'm going to study, I'm going to hear, I'm going to memorize, I'm going to, <clears throat> I'm going to meditate, I'm going to spend time in the Word of God. I'm going to make it the habit of my life because I don't think I can live without it. And that's the reality. So let me encourage you. Help yourself. Make the Word of God a priority. A priority. And take it from the, yeah, I think it's priority. I need to get to it. And put it above the urgent things. Make a time and a space in your life every day where you spend time in the Word. Make it your habit of life. Organize your life around it. Because so many of the other things in your life, they'll come and they'll go and they'll leave you with no help. But the Word of God will be a light to your feet. The Word of God will keep you from error. The Word of God will protect you. The Word of God will prosper you. It will bless your life in more ways than you and I can think. But we've got to be in it. We've got to spend time in it. That's us for prayer.